Hi, I'm Carmen LeBurge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Encouraging you to live as an ambassador of God's kingdom in the world. This is Mornings with Carmen LeBurge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles, arms out wide. If we're gonna fear, we fear no evil. We will rise by your power. We will go by your spirit. We are bold. If we're gonna stand, we stand as giants. If we're gonna walk, we walk as lions. Hey, good morning again. It's hour two of Mornings with Carmen. Uh, You are listening to the Faith Radio Network. We're so glad you're here. If you missed the first hour, we had great conversations that I'd love for you to um, have an opportunity to hear as well. You can do that later today at MyFaithRadio.com or go ahead and subscribe to the podcast, Mornings with Carmen, wherever you um, get your podcasts. And then when that populates in your feed, you can listen to it then. There you go. Um, Jamie Lee Curtis is of an age and she's aging and she's aging beautifully, whatever that means. And she has a message not only for her own daughters, but she has a um, message for everyone. And that is basically um, that we ought to leave our face alone. Mm -hmm. Leave your face alone. She, um, she, she goes on to say, don't mess with your face. That's, that's her message in this. And she says, you know, look, I did plastic surgery. I put Botox in my head. Um, and does Botox make the big wrinkle go away? Yes, it does. But then you look like a plastic figurine. And she continued, walk a mile in my shoes. I've done it. Um, and it doesn't ultimately work. Um, and I see people now focusing their life on how their face looks. And she says, happiness is a tricky word because life is pain. So I want my daughters to be satisfied and I want them to feel that what they're doing matters and that we all have value um, in in life. But if you think that that's going to come because of how your face looks, you are ultimately not going to be made happy by that. Now, Jamie Lee Curtis does not go on here to, you know, proclaim the good news of the gospel, but you could use this conversation um, that is lifted up, uh, you know, across the culture by, you know, a cultural icon Um, And you could say, look, if Jamie Lee Curtis has figured out over the course of her life that happiness does not come by, you know, how your face looks, um, that maybe there is a conversation to be had about what's going on at a deeper level and who we are and where we find our identity and our value and our worth and our purpose. And you are eternally valuable because you are an image bearer of the living God. The God of the universe has poured himself out into you in creation. He conceived of you before the foundations of the earth. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. He knit you together in your mother's womb. He prepared and advanced good works for you to do. And he gave himself. He gave himself literally on the cross that you might live in a reconciled relationship with him not only in eternity forevermore, but right now, right here and right now, that you might have um, the fullness of life that God intends, that you might, you might experience flourishing right now. Is that what we're communicating as Christians, and is that the truth that we're living in the world? That is a good thing to think about today. 
Now, what do Christians actually care about? Um, if perception is reality in the culture, then it's not just uh, about how we as Christians perceive ourselves, but how the world perceives us, how others perceive us. And so we have talked a couple of times with um, with the guys that are working on the He Gets Us campaign, that $100 million um, campaign or effort to bridge the gap between who Jesus really is and sort of the public perception of Jesus because of Christians in the culture. And some of the research that they did, I think, is a good reminder that the way we see ourselves as Christians, right, we don't see ourselves as hypocrites, right? We practice what we preach, or that's at least our self-perception. That's actually not the way those of us, those who don't identify as Christians, see us. So there's a self-perception among engaged Christians that we practice what we preach, that there's consistency or integration between what we say and what we do. But others looking at our lives, witnessing our witness, they they don't perceive that. They see a huge gap um, between what the, quote, followers of Jesus say and what the, quote, followers of Jesus actually do. The other big gap um, in, you know, in this research related to the He Gets Us campaign um among those who do not identify as engaged Christians, okay, so the rest of the world, right, the rest of the world perceives Christians as caring about um, the preborn, caring about the child in the womb, but not about their moms or the children once they're born. Now, that is not the perception among engaged Christians. Engaged Christians view um, view ourselves as not only interested in uh, stopping abortions, but also caring for moms and their children. So these these gaps in perception give us an opportunity to have conversations, to ask people um, very authentically, are there things that you think I believe that you don't believe, or are there things that you think that I say I believe that you think are inconsistent with the way I behave? Those would be good um, opportunities for conversations today. And we're going to talk with Dr. Matthew Sleeth. He is a medical doctor. He's also a theologian and an author. We're going to start talking with him about our priorities as Christians and what it looks like to focus on the foundational issues. Are there pillars of your faith? And if so, are they pillars that are going to actually build a faith that is substantial, beautiful, and true in terms of your public witness? So what are your priorities? Do you put God first? What would that look like? Dr. Matthew Sleeth is up next. It says in Colossians 2 that we're to be rooted and established in our faith. Um, Paul describes to Timothy what it looks like to be a pillar um, of of the truth, a, a well-established pillar that bears public witness to the reality of who Christ is. What does that mean and what does that look like? Dr. Matthew Sleeth is going to join us for a series of conversations over the next several months on this topic. Um, we are going to think together about the 10 pillars of our faith as Christians. Matthew, welcome back to Mornings with Carmen. Oh, it's great to be with you, Carmen. It's a beautiful morning. <clears throat> it is a beautiful morning. It is a beautiful morning. So let's talk about um, faith, what it means to be a person of faith, and specifically what it means to be a person of faith in Jesus Christ. Um, 
you've been a Christian for a while and you've been thinking about, um, you know, sort of like what the constellation of not just ideas, but practices, habits or disciplines or qualities are um, evidence of and necessary for the Christian life. Yes, um, it, it, interesting that you should uh, w- quote the uh, scripture about being rooted in our faith, because uh, about a year ago, I was asked to come and teach a, uh, a group at a state park, um, and they said, how do we become oaks of righteousness? Um, and, and, and give us a couple of days and teach us about that. And I came up with a list of things from scripture, from my own life, and from observation. I'll just go down the list, and for listeners, this is what we're going to be talking with over the several months. Uh, the first thing is to seek God first. The next is to listen to God. And, and when we get to that, we'll talk about uh, Scripture and how we interpret. Then to talk to God, that's about a prayer life. Rest with God, that's about Sabbath. Practice hospitality. Practice generosity. Tell the truth. Look on God. Invest in friendships and be grateful. So that's our that's our uh, set of pillars, if you will. And uh, I'm just delighted to have the opportunity to to walk through that list and and uh, for us to be able to talk about it. So let's start with um with this first pillar, um, seek God, which is you know um, seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these other things will be added unto you. What does it look like to seek God and to put God first? Well, when Jesus is talking about that, he's talking about all the things we worry about. What are we going to wear? What are we going to eat? Which neighborhood are we going to live in? And that sort of thing. Uh, The things that we're taught in elementary school are the the necessities of life that you can't do without, which is kind of food, clothing, and shelter. And Jesus says, whoa, 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 even before that. You're supposed to seek the kingdom of heaven and its righteousness. And, and if we do that first, he promises that all the other stuff will fall in place behind it. And that's, that's certainly been my uh, experience. And I know we came to a point in, in my life, in my family's life, when, when I became a Christian 20 years ago, and God was calling me uh, to, to seek him. And that involved me quitting my job as a director of an emergency department. Now, I'm not saying everybody should do that, um, but the the meaning of that was that God wanted me to put him first before all those things I held to be, you know, God's before that point. And many of us, uh, our job is our God. And, and um, uh, you know, people who care, you know, more about work than anything else, and um, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's a tough thing to spend your life going up the ladder of success and then finding out that the ladder was leaned up against the wrong wall, you know, type of thing. Mm. So, um, <clears throat> so good. Matthew, um, let's uh, continue this conversation in just a moment. We're talking with Dr. Matthew Sleeth and we're talking about, um, you know, what is our faith established on? How do we become oaks of righteousness? What does it look like to be rooted and established in your faith? Well, it starts with, seeking God. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Jesus then says all the other things are going to be added unto you. What does it look like to reorient and reprioritize our lives in order that we really do genuinely put God first? More of this up next on Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. 
As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. Tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. We're talking with Dr. Matthew Sleeth, and we're going to do this over the course of, of months. We're going to um, establish these 10 pillars of our faith, leading off today with seeking God, putting God first in our lives. So, Matthew, um, there's a lot of people responding to the reality of what? He quit his job when he became a Christian? Like, what? Um, how, how do we know that we're putting God first? And one of the things that you alluded to is, you know, maybe there was this thing that I had set up as a God or a false idol that was competing with God for my attention. So can you talk a little bit about like that reality and how you identify that in your own life and then, you know, how you evaluate whether or not you're putting God first? Sure. At that that point, uh, 20 years ago, I um, I had come from a, a a very very modest background, so becoming a physician was you know just absolutely central to my identity. Um, it it's good work and everything, and there are good things that can drag us away from God. But God wanted me uh, to to be focused on Him solely, and so um, I I would never urge somebody to just quit your job willy nilly. You do this with prayer, and you do this um, uh, talking to other folks. Folks, but uh, there are many, many things that keep us from putting God first in our life. And Jesus warns us about this. One of the the irresistible ones is family. Uh, but Jesus says, if you don't love me more than your family, and he puts it even more <laughs> strongly than that, you're going to miss out on my blessings. You're going to miss out on knowing who I really am. So as I've worked through this with uh, groups of people, as I teach through these 10 pillars, and it takes two or three days to do it, um, uh, what's really interesting is what people come up with themselves that competes uh, for God. And that's everything from work to travel to family, individuality, health and looks, which you just mentioned, um, media, technology, sports, success, food, retirement. There's just so many things um, that are competing uh, for our, our soul or the major interest. We've got to consciously say, God, help me every day put you first and and uh and everything else will fall in place behind that Mm. how do i um how do i evaluate that like like how do we know i mean we can give intellectual i mean we can give intellectual assent to what you're saying like right god i think i think you need to sit down with another person uh somebody you feel Mm. very comfortable with and say what am i spending my money on where is my time going um, you know, if I'm watching a screen six hours a day and it's not involved in work, that's probably God for me. Um, and, uh, you know, w- and we can have habits. People can uh, be, you know, addicted to certain things. And by the way, the addictive uh, power of something isn't how high it gets you. It's how 
how low you get if you don't have it. So for some people, that might be sports. If they're going to miss the game this weekend, that's crushing to them. Um, it, imagine if we felt that way about we're missing church and you're crushed by it. That's how you, mm. you work through. You, it's where's my time and my money and my interests going? What am I excited about? What am I looking forward to? And if that's not God, um, we need to, we've probably got some work to do. That's so good. I mean, if I were to really sit down and like, not just, I mean, you know, you've, you've, you've probably done this if you've ever tried to lose weight. You've been, in, you've been asked by somebody in an accountable relationship to keep a food journal and then to go over it. But what about a time journal? Or what about, you know, actually opening up, I mean, you know, your check register anymore, that doesn't help. But open up your, your Venmo account um, and, and all of the things that you're subscribed to that go out in like automatic payments. Like, where is your money going what are you investing in? What are you supporting? What are you spending not only your money, but your life on? Like, what does a time journal look like? And then I love this conversation about addictive power. It's not how high something gets you, but how low you go if you don't get it. Um, Matthew, I just think about FOMO and this fear of missing out that is, uh, you know, aggravated by, uh, by social media, um, particularly, you know, for young women on Instagram. And I just think, wow, there's a great conversation to be had there as well. Um, how do we eliminate distractions and get back on track if we recognize that, you know, some of those things are, you know, are, are out of tune or misaligned for us in terms of seeking God? I think the first thing we, we need to always have a knee jerk is to go to God first. And that is to say, God, this thing is competing, uh, uh, for my attention, for my money, for my time, uh, for my excitement. And, um, and and to acknowledge what it is, uh, I like your idea of keeping a journal even about this, and and to find somebody that you're accountable with, if, uh, somebody who can't stop playing video games, that sort of thing, needs to have an accountability uh, uh, partner uh, that you can be truthful with, and to understand that seeking God is a process that will take a lifetime. You're never mm. gonna you're never gonna get there. Um, because we are so separated uh, from God and we live in a world that wants to drag us away that every day we have to renew that commitment to seeking God first. Mm. Somebody, um, you know, texting in saying, wow, the, um, the acknowledgement of how much time I am spending as, uh, you know, as a gauge of whether or not I'm really seeking God first Apparently yesterday, Matthew, I um, I acknowledged that most people spend a couple of hours every day somewhere on some social media platform, but they certainly don't spend a couple of hours in the Word of God, um, and that was particularly convicting for this for this one person yesterday. She actually kept a time journal yesterday just of this specific thing, um, and then was particularly convicted that she was spending eighty times as much time on social media as she was in the Word of God. Well, there you go. 80 times. That's a pretty, um, that, that's, that's pretty amazing. You know, for me, when I became a Christian, the activity in my life, I said, this just as inconsistent with television. And I, I know that's a generation ago, but, but I said, I think this is inconsistent with my seeking God. And, and so we haven't had television for 20 years. Uh, you know what? It, it, I, I'm still, uh, a functioning human being, you know, mm-hmm. I, I, um, uh, many of these things we think we can't live without are, in fact, um, 
you know, peripheral and passing away. When we are seeking God first, we're investing in the eternal. Um, the things that we pay attention to now, we're not going to be worried with a thousand years from now. Mm, that's so good. That's so good. Um, Matthew, we better leave it right there. Um, on the eliminating distractions, I think that the invitation to like confess it, like right, recognize it and confess it, and then ruthlessly eliminate the things that are competing with God. And we do that by actually um, filling those spaces with with other things, like actually start doing and start investing in the eternal things, and they will push out all of those um, those things that are currently competing with God. Uh, right? It's that um, um, absolutely expulsive, expulsive power of a new affection. Right. Right. And that's that's what we're going to be going over in the coming months. <clears throat> I love that. I love that. Um, thank you so much for starting the conversation with us. We all want to be um, oaks of righteousness rooted and established in our faith. So we're going to have this conversation with Dr. Matthew Sleeth over the course of months, starting today in the 10 pillars of our faith. The first one, seek God, put God first. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and everything else is going to be added unto you as well. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. This is Faith Radio. You got something to say. If you're living, if you're breathing, you got something to say. You know if you're Anger. We're going to have a conversation about anger today. Um, what do you do with it in your own life? What do you do with the anger of your kids? What do you do with a, an angry culture? Got a couple of, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw these into the anger uh, headlines today. Um, an estimated 90,000 Russian casualties um, have been experienced since the invasion began in, um, in Ukraine. So this is actually from the Moscow Times. So this is not, you know, the rest of the world um, estimating Russian deaths on the battlefield. Uh, this is Russia itself. So over 90,000 Russian soldiers have died, cannot be accounted for, or have suffered such serious injuries they are unable to return to service. That is an independent Russian media project called iStories, uh, reported on Wednesday by sources close to the Kremlin. Um, the figure is is roughly in line with estimates that have been made over time by the United States uh, via the Pentagon and other Western governments as well, stating around um, 80,000 Russian soldiers had been killed or otherwise seriously injured since the invasion of Ukraine began. Um, if that number is accurate, and now we would say, hey, if, you know, if, if everybody is reporting it out, basically, you know, 80 to 90,000 Russian soldiers um, in this, you know, have been lost, that's... Um, that's one out of every two that crossed the border. One out of every two. 190,000 Russians have participated in this assault on Ukraine since February. And, and 90,000 would be one out of every two. Like, it's, yeah, staggering, staggering losses that they're experiencing on the battlefield. Um, and all of it, you know, because of the anger expressed by one individual. All right. In the past week, Russia has turned toward... Um, very unprecise or imprecise strikes uh, in densely populated civilian areas, including Ukraine's capital, uh, Kiev. The uh, the Associated Press is reporting this morning, quote, the capital region was struck by Iranian-made kamikaze drones early Thursday, um, sending rescue workers obviously surging into the area as 
residents of Kiev awoke to air raid sirens for the fourth consecutive morning. Um, North Korea, uh, their dictator, Kim, Kim Jong-un, seems to be taking inspiration from the uh, angry rhetoric of Russia's president, Vladimir Putin. And North Korea is, you know, threatening to turn uh, quote-unquote enemy cities, that includes Washington, D.C. and Seoul, South Korea, into, quote, a sea of fire through preemptive nuclear strikes. We live in an angry world. We live in a, ru- in a world where anger seems to be, um, you know, one of the major currencies of the day. So what do I do with anger? It's a good question for each of us. It's a good question for us to be having in our conversation or in our, uh, in our families, conversation with our kids. What do I do with anger is the latest book in the feelings series by Joshua Straub. So he's going to join us next. And we're going to talk about what do we do with our anger? What do we do with anger in our families? And what do we do with the anger of our kids? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Joshua Straub is, um, I will describe him as an expert in marriage and parenting. Um, he comes alongside of us as parents and grandparents to, you know, help us know our kids and know how our kids are feeling. And then not only help our houses and homes be safe places for our children, but really to help them grow up into the people that um, God has designed and created them to be. So, Dr. Joshua Straub, welcome back to Mornings with Carmen. Thank you so much. It's always an honor to be with you. So you have this great series of books. Um, what Am I Feeling was the first one that we discussed. Um, what, do I, uh, what Do I Do With Worry was the second one. You've got this uh, series of helping kids learn to make big feelings in a, uh, manage big feelings in a little body. The, the newest book is What Do I Do With Anger? So, um, you know, yeah. in terms of the feeling list, you know, why are we doing like worry and anger and not like, I don't know. Yeah. You know, there's other things on the feeling list that we could be doing. Why are we doing worry and then anger? Well, I think worry and anger, at least from what we find, both as parents and uh, in serving parents, those are the two emotions that we tend to see parents uh, really struggle with their kids the most, or at least those are the most prevalent in the kids. And then parents parents themselves worry about those two feelings. So for example, when a child acts out in anger, they're hitting their siblings, they're throwing things, they're throwing temper tantrums. It's like, what do I do with this? And so we we automatically think we need a discipline or a lot of times we parent the way our parents parented us, or we automatically parent the exact opposite way our parents parented us because we didn't like the way they parented us, but we do both without even thinking about it. And so a lot of times emotions in our kids can elicit some really deep stuff within us. Like we don't want to raise angry kids or we don't like it when our kids are angry because anger meant something to me that was, you know, uh, meant that, you know, for example, my, my daughter should not be an angry person. So therefore I have to like silence the anger, right. Rather than getting behind the anger to see what's really going on. Our tendency is to suppress it, repress it, teach them to deny it, just be happy. We want to raise happy kids, right? And so so we came out of the pandemic. There was a lot of worry in kids. And of course, parents get worried about worry in their kids. And then we worry about anxiety or, or we worry about anger in our kids. And so we really felt like these two emotions are most prevalent. We see them. They're active in our kids. And a lot of parents go, what do I do with this? How do I help my kids navigate this in a way that I'm actually not shutting it down? And that I'm really paying attention to it in a way that 
they're going to understand that these emotions were given to us by God to actually teach us about the world around us and, and about situations and how to manage people, how to set boundaries and how to really engage healthy relationship. Well, wait a minute. That sounds like you're going to affirm that it's okay to be angry. Uh, well, absolutely. <laughs> and I, I think there's I think there's times where I don't think the Bible in any given sense ever tells us not to be angry. It tells us not to worry. Paul writes not to worry, but he says, in your anger, do not sin. So it doesn't say to not be angry. In fact, we see throughout the Bible where there's a righteous anger of God, where we are to be angry at injustice and we are to be angry at things that honestly would lead to passion. And I think a lot of times our anger, if our anger turns to rage, that's an unhealthy processing of our anger. If our anger turns into passion to make a change in the world, that's that's a there's a healthy process of anger in that regard. So I think- mm. Anger is important, but we have to see because because every emotion, I I don't even like to use the word positive or negative emotions because I think every emotion was given to us by God as a way to help us become more intimate in relationships and to draw us and connect us closer to people. But a lot of times we channel our emotions uh, our uncomfortable emotions in a way where we deny, suppress, or repress them, or we act on them without even processing them at all. And we actually harm ourselves and other people in that process. And those are ways that we uh, that, that disconnect us from the world and make us, that, that's what leads to rage. That what leads to ways of disconnecting us from people. We're talking with Dr. Joshua Straub. We're talking about the newest book uh, in what I'll describe as the Feelings series, um, that he and his wife, Christy, have written. This one is What Do I Do With Anger? It features Alex. Alex is um, angry. His his teammates won't pass him the soccer ball no matter how often he calls for it. For, fortunately, he has this wonderful coach named Ryan um, who knows how to tame the fireballs of anger that rise up inside of us. If you remember the worry birds from our earlier conversation with Joshua um, about the book on what do we do with worry, then you'll recognize what's going on here. We're going to help kids identify what they're feeling. In this case, you know, using this fireball of anger rising up inside um, to help Alex uh, process through what he's really feeling, what might be the deeper feelings. Maybe it's embarrassment. Maybe it's um, fear or grief or betrayal. Um, and these books have very practical and biblical wisdom to not only help our children manage their anger, but help us as parents and grandparents um, talk about these things in ways that may not have been discussed in our own families. Like so we have real learning to do as well. Joshua, that leads me to ask about this trickle-down effect. Um, because if I am carrying around shame about my own anger, um, that has an effect on my kids. 100%. Yeah. And we, you know, there, there's a phrase I use often that you can sum up all of parenting research into one primary conclusion, and that's that our kids become who we are. So, I mean, if we're not dealing with our own issues, if we're not dealing with our own anger, our anger is going to trickle down into that. Like our, we're teaching our kids vicariously, indirectly, how to manage their own emotions by how we manage our emotions. And so if we're not, you know, my wife and I, we go to therapy, we have counts, we have coaches, um, we have spiritual directors in our lives. Like we have people in our lives who are helping us navigate our own inner world so that we can pass down to our kids what we, uh, you know, a healthy version of us. Like, you know, 
I always say this, that our kids will not outgrow our emotional maturity while they're under our roof. And so if my emotional and spiritual ceiling is my kid's floor, then I want to do everything I can to raise that ceiling uh, emotionally and spiritually in my own life. The way that I'm interacting with people, the way that I'm uh, managing my emotions, the way that I'm uh, serving God, loving God, sitting with God, praying to God, the way that I'm loving my wife in front of my children the way that I'm speaking to people, the way that I'm speaking about people, the stuff that I have coming into my home through screens and music and the types of, you know, are we listening to angry music? Are we listening to, you know, what what are we allowing into our home? Because there's an atmosphere in your home that's being created by all of these things around us. And we have to pay attention to those emotional and spiritual atmospheres in our home. And we as parents are the ones that drive that. Yeah, you're the one who taught me that um, my my emotions are contagious and that I infect and affect the atmosphere around me. And I got to tell you, Joshua, like I am now hyper aware. Like I know when it's happening, I, Mm. I can now identify it. And that's very empowering. It's very empowering to be able to say like to myself, okay, you are making it stink in the car right now. Like you are, this is you, Carmen, like get, you are the one that is making the house feel all stressful right not it's you like it's not so good anyway you've helped me a lot i i then have to retreat i then have to retreat to my bedroom and like get you know get right before the lord and ask him to you know like change my heart and my attitude and all of that because i can't do it in the presence of other people can we talk about that in a minute because there's different ways depending on the child there's some different tactics or ways to um to enter into all of this. Can we talk about that in just a second? Uh, that'd be fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Great. All right. Hey, if you know that like you, um, you have one way of addressing um, yourself in terms of finding a place of calm uh, during a fight, uh, maybe you are a flea person. Your kid is like that too, right? Kids have nervous systems as well. So we're going to talk with Dr. Joshua Straub about, you know, what to do when our kids are angry. What is, um, you know, like how do we help them move move past those times when they are overwhelmed. That's up next for Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show we do every morning on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. I don't want you to miss any of it. So check out the free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at myfaithradio.com. One of the things I would like for you to consider is becoming a faith radio ambassador. We talk about walking our faith out into the world that God God so loves and doing so in ways that honor Jesus. Well, that's because we are ambassadors of the kingdom of God. You can become a faith radio ambassador today and help us get the word out to others about this and other programs on the Faith Radio Network. Uh, We will supply everything that you need to share with others, and you can sign up to be a faith radio ambassador at MyFaithRadio.com. Continuing our conversation with Dr. Joshua Straub, you can find him at JoshuaStraub.com, um, and you can um, and you can certainly find the book that we're talking about today. What do I do with anger? From our friends over at BNH. Um, or on Amazon, you know, anywhere you get your books, right? So we're we're talking about anger. We're talking about the reality of it. We're talking about the anger that our kids experience. So Joshua, let's um let's get right into the moment where I have a child who is overwhelmed. 
um, depending on the child and sort of their instinct, they're going to process that differently, fight, flight, or freeze. What, what do I do? What do I do to help bring my own child sort of back to a place of calm? Yeah. Well, it starts with what we were just talking about, where we have to be at a place of calm. Because if we're ramped up in our limbic system, our fight, flight, or freeze response uh, is is ramped up. It only ramps up everybody else around us. So just as you were describing in the car, when you feel, when you're the one that's bringing everybody up, you've got to be the one that can bring everybody down as well. And so sometimes that looks like us just, um, you know, there's times where where my kids are completely overwhelmed and angry. And they're just, they're so out of sorts. Like we have a a two-year-old right now. So, I mean, he's, his brain is not developed at all in terms of self-control. And there's times where I just simply have to hold him. I just, I just take him and I hold him in my arms because otherwise I would be overwhelmed. I would be, you know, losing my mind. And so whether, no matter how old our kids are, whether, you know, we have a 10-year-old, an eight-year-old, we have a two-year-old, I will take my kids. And there's times if they're just emotionally overwhelmed before anybody says anything, We'll just hold them and we'll just sit there for a little while till every. Huh. Well, we've just lost our connection. We will work uh, diligently to get Josh back. Um, so in this conversation about holding, um, holding your child in a hug, I have learned as the grandparent of, um, of, a, of a child with autism that you have to know the child. And so it's hugely important to know the particular child that you're dealing with because you cannot hug um, a child who is on the autism spectrum because it actually increases their distress, right? She, if, if Emma's already feeling overwhelmed, um, she's going to panic or lash out at me if I try to hug her um, in the midst of that. Now, there are times and there are people and there are spaces and places where that does work um, with her indeed. But, but many times with me, I have discovered that I need to let her go outside or retreat to um you know, a this this one corner of the couch in my house or go to her own room if we're at her house, because for her, those are the ways that she, um, you know, she comes to a place of calm. So knowing the particular child is hugely important here, particularly when we're dealing with, you know, kids who are neurodiverse um, so uh, or somewhere on, you know, on the autism spectrum. What do you do with your anger? How do you process anger? You could let me know what works for you. Uh, 877-933-2484 is our text line. It's always open. We're working uh, to uh, reconnect with Dr. Joshua Straub here. But if we um, if we fail to be able to do that, uh, you know, let me just let me just say that there are so many resources available now through such competent and wonderful Christian brothers and sisters like Joshua um, and Christy uh, Straub. And um, if you you know if you avail yourself of what God is providing. You can be encouraged. You can find help. There are resources available. You're not alone. Um, And one of the primary things that we can do for each other is to pray. Um, So let's be praying for each other today as we are dealing with all kinds of challenges in our lives and and even anger that flares up like fireballs within us. Like, let's recognize that none of us is fully there yet. We're still growing. God is still bringing us, um, you know, into conformity with his perfect will and Part of that is being open to the way that God embraces us in those moments when we need to be recentered and calmed down. All right, Joshua, um, hey, welcome back. Sorry we lost our connection with you. Um, I've just been reviewing with folks what we've been talking about. And maybe, you know, in these last couple of minutes that we've got, you can um, just encourage us, uh, you know, on this um, on this front in terms of the intentionality of engaging with our own um, anger 
and then obviously helping our children deal with theirs. Yeah, no, great. Sorry, sorry, we got cut off there. My, you know, one of the things, that, and this is why we wrote the children's books. We wrote the children's books because they're a very, um, they're a uh, uh, non-threatening way to enter into emotion that helps us to not have have our own stuff come up, right? It's like a non-threatening way because reading a children's book to a child is is there's something engaging about it. It connects a parent. It connects me to my children. And, you know, you can point to pictures and you can identify things. And a lot of times, even in these books, what's happening is, is we're not just reading these children's books to our kids, but the feedback we hear from parents is, my goodness, this children's book is actually helping me because it's very, it's a very simplistic way. And we don't need to complicate this stuff. You know, it's a very simplistic way of us being able to identify what we're feeling and then helping us to know what to do with that. And I'll just say this. So, so we have, what am I feeling? What do I do with worry? What do I do with anger? Um, as you were saying earlier, thank you so much for, for promoting those books. And yeah, I, I would just encourage you to get them. You know, one of the biggest things that we can do as parents, and I think this, this needs to be said as we close um, our time today, is you know, um, research shows, John Gottman actually found this, that a word called repair is the ultimate of relationships. In other words, you're going to mess up as a parent. You're going to say things you regret. You're going to get things wrong. Um, you're going to yell. You're going to scream. You're going to do things that you're going to be like, oh, man, I really messed this up. And what he found in his research is that if you can get this, this emotional safety thing right, like just entering into the, your kid's world just two out of five times, you're still going to get the outcomes you desire in your children. And it's because of a word called repair. And what does the Bible call it? It calls it forgiveness. And how often does Jesus tell us to practice it? A lot. And so when we get it wrong, our ability as parents to enter into our child's world and simply say, I'm sorry for the way that I spoke to you. I'm sorry for the way that, you know, for what I said. Would you please forgive me? And how can I make it right to you? What we do is we model for our children, one, that we're not perfect, Number two, that we don't expect them to be. And number three, we model for them how to make it right when they're not. And, and I just think it's just a brilliant way to go, hey, listen, parents, you're not going to always be right in this, but here's a way to make it right. And that in and of itself is the single biggest key to getting the outcomes we desire in our kids for kids to see how to make things right when they're wrong. Mm. We need all the help we can get. So thank you for being a help along the way. Um, I, I, was, I about called you Pastor Joshua Straub because that's the way I feel about you. Um, Dr. Joshua uh, Straub uh, and his wife, Christy, are wonderful to connect with. Tons of great resources on Facebook. It's Dr. Josh and Christy online, joshuastraub.com. Um, what are you going to do with your anger today, and how are you going to help your kids process through it? What Do I Do With Anger is the book. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge, and this is Faith Radio. Dealing with uh, dealing with anger is a challenge for many of us. Um, how do we help our adult children um, as they deal with uh, with anger and uh, complicated maybe by anxiety and other challenges? Um, lots of folks texting in this morning. You know the challenges that they're facing personally or in their families. And so let me encourage us to be praying for one another. And let me do that right now. Holy God, uh, make your presence manifest. 
uh, among us right now. Let those uh, let those who are um, questioning whether or not you care and if you're real and if you see them, like let them feel right now the physical, tangible sense of your presence by the power of your Holy Spirit, Holy God. Um, go forth in tangible ways to hold us and bring us to a place of calm where we can then minister to others. Amen. Hey, you guys have a great day. God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.